Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a podcast for everyone who's fascinated about how our minds work, mental health and all things therapy. Ask the Therapist is hosted by me, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse, cognitive behavioural therapist and author of the CBT Journal. I've over 20 years experience of working in the field of mental health and I hope to educate, entertain and simplify all things mental health and therapy. So sit back and enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. Well, this episode takes a little bit of a different format in that I'm going to be interviewed by Heather Howard-Thompson. You might remember Heather from the first ever episode where I interviewed her. Well, now she's turning the tables on me and she's going to be interviewing me. I met Heather a few years ago at an event for private therapists in CBT and we run together a very popular Facebook group called CBT in Private Practice. So if you're a therapist practicing CBT in private practice, you might want to pop over there and take a look and join in the group. Just lots of conversation about working in private practice, setting up business and um, lots of support and advice and guidance. So in today's episode, Heather's going to interview me about my career journey from from right at the very beginning I talk about working in a bingo hall not sure why I went that early for you but I did I decided not to listen back to it so I can't really remember what I said because I don't like the sound of my own voice particularly it's not nice listening to a full episode of you being interviewed so I'm just going to go a bit random let you enjoy it and I look forward to hearing any feedback enjoy Hi Sarah. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your career journey so far? Right. How far back do you want me to go? As far as you can remember. (laughs) I used to work, my first ever job was in a bingo hall. That's too far back, isn't it? Then a bakery. Wow. Interesting. And a fish restaurant. So uh, I bet you're good at cooking and baking. Uh, No. Eating. (laughs) Baked goods and fish I am good at. (laughs) I can play a good game of bingo. (laughs) So I suppose I've worked from quite a young age. And then I went into health and social care. And I think I went into that because of just the people around me. I did used to want to be a solicitor, but there was lots of paperwork in that. And I thought, no, mm. that's not for me. Yeah. So then I was a, wanted to be a social worker because I thought there'd be less paperwork in that. Oof. But I hear there's, that was... A, a lot more, I would imagine, uh, yeah. than what we do even. I dodged that very well yes. and, and didn't do that. Because so, they kind of say that, as, um, you know, when you go into the health and well-being, you, there's, there should be like a vocation and a drive. And that it didn't feel like that at the time. So I went into health and social care and that was in the 90s. And at that time, I don't know if you remember, but um, a lot of the old asylums were closing down Mm -hmm. and they were doing care in the community. And I started life as a support worker where I helped mainly people from a place called Calderstones near Clitheroe Mm -hmm. be rehoused into the community in Thameside. And, you know, really enjoyed that. It was a really tragic time because these people had lived in these old big hospitals, which of course were not appropriate but they'd had jobs there beautiful grounds mm. 
lots of people around them and they move from that to really small semi-detached houses back in the community where they haven't been for years and yes, years yeah. and so it was um you know lots of people became very unwell and and some died from the shock of it it was a really yeah. tricky thing to do and while there were some people that just absolutely thrived some people didn't and the people that I was supporting at that time had a mixture of kind of mental health problems and learning difficulties and I really really enjoyed it and so I did that for a couple of years and then I didn't want the next kind of step after that was to go into management within kind of social services and I just didn't fancy that Mm -hmm. so I looked around and I thought about being a mental health nurse okay because I, I've always been from the start about helping people recover and working towards recovery and becoming a nurse I thought that would be great fantastic you know? so I yeah. trained to be a mental health nurse under yeah. project 2000 in, at Manchester University it wasn't Manchester University then it was school of nursing in Manchester mm-hmm. And really loved it, really enjoyed it. And after that, I worked on all the wards and really enjoyed that. Worked at the MRI and Withinshaw Hospital and North Manchester, just all over the place. And then the natural kind of progression then is to work in community settings because it's nine to five. And um, I so I did that for about six, seven years. And I really thought that I was going to be a community psychiatric nurse for the rest of my life. I just absolutely loved it. But then the whole service changed. Something came into place called Change in Mind, where they split up the services. Instead of, as a community psychiatric nurse, you seeing everybody from very old to very young and people that were unwell and people that were recovered and and just being maintained and monitored and um, you had to discharge everybody that was well on your caseload mm-hmm. and there was early intervention teams set up for young people and lots of different services for different aspects which was a real I felt it was a real shame because in, while you I'd been used to working with such a varied range of people you now had to just work with one segment of people yeah yeah so if you had a caseload and you had a caseload of really unwell people and there was no hospital beds they cut all the beds Mm. as well at that time so that kind of led to a lot of change in my career which was very upsetting at the time for all those people that remember working with me I didn't I struggled at that time so I left being a community psychiatric nurse, I worked in a crisis and home treatment team for a while, which they'd bought in. They'd reduced hospital beds and bought in crisis and home treatment teams, which I just didn't really enjoy working for that team. I didn't like flying into people's homes when there was a crisis. And, and there actually lots of people I felt needed to be in hospital, you know, getting more support than what we could offer Mm -hmm. so from there I went into an early intervention team worked with teenagers and there was a big focus on recovery and different types of interventions and CBT started to become kind of part of what I did then and I did a degree as well kind of a couple of years before in um, a range of psychosocial therapies and then from there I um, wanted to be a manager I thought I'm going to change things up in the NHS <laughs> and um, and I was on quite a mission and I um, eventually got a job and I ran the South Manchester primary care mental health team and I didn't like it. <laughs> I'm like not, I'm just not a good manager at all. I mean I really put my all into it and I did enjoy it and I was able to keep some clinical stuff 
going so I saw people that's when I started doing kind of therapy with people and I'd have to go to all these big meetings with commissioners and stuff and it just bored me the paperwork bored me I just didn't get on with being a manager and I realized you can't change the NHS it's so you know it's you know it's such a struggle so um so at that time, IAPT came about where there was the opportunity to train as a cognitive behavioural therapist. Right. And I'd always wanted to, um, you know, recovery and helping people work towards recovery was a big, you know, passion for me. And I felt as a nurse, one of the problems with the kind of main intervention was medication. Well, some of the medication was great, but some of it gave lots of people lots of really tricky side effects. It wasn't a great tool and people needed a bit more and that had kind of pushed me towards psychological therapies Mm -hmm. and so I jumped at the chance to being trained as a a CBT therapist so I did that and absolutely loved it really loved it Um, and then I trained as an EMDR therapist as well which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing which is working with people that have had got post-traumatic stress and that was phenomenal training to do and after a couple of years in in the NHS I started kind of wanting to work for myself and doing things privately so I went into private practice and that was about five years ago now and for a while I did kind of both the NHS and private practice and then just thought just took the leap and just jumped like you did really didn't yeah you? yeah so what do you think was the the decided to, to to move into private practice ultimately I think well when I was in see in the NHS people could only come for six to eight sessions and if and it was I worked in a very deprived area where people had huge issues and had struggled with the mental health for many years and to kind of see them for six to eight sessions and then say you discharge felt unfair to lots of people it didn't really fit with my values I do think there is short pieces of work that you can do with people definitely but I think some people need much longer pieces of work and then when I started working in private practice and being able to see people for you know much longer you could see the difference and I felt like I was being de-skilled because I was just working with people in short sharp ways and I wanted to kind of develop my skills Mm -hmm. and um, I just thought I kept putting the date in my diary to hand in my notice, hand in my notice. And a few politics happened in the NHS, as they did. I always struggled with the politics. And I just thought, that's it, I've had enough. Mm. And I just literally jumped. I remember thinking, what's the worst that could happen? I could always get a job, an agency job. Yes. I've still got my nurse registration now. Can't seem to let go of it. I do need to let go of it <laughs> at some point. But I just thought, I could you know, I'd go back and work on the wards. That's no problem. And I just thought, what's the fear? And I just, you know, came up with a bit of a plan B and I just jumped fantastic yeah and didn't look back that's brilliant absolutely brilliant excellent well lots Um, of people often say to me I don't know how you do what you do because it's not always an easy job no uh, being a therapist we work with people's distress every day can you say a little bit about how you manage working with people's distress I think I'm so passionate about helping people recover that it really kind of motivates me and gives me a lot of energy. Mm -hmm. I love the minds of other people and I find it really fascinating. So, and I kind of, having worked in mental health for so long, I, I know, I've seen how people can change their lives and so people can come to me feeling very distressed, very stuck and I know what's possible for them and I just find that absolutely energizing and I suppose 
I've struggled with my mental health over the years and, and that has kind of made me very interested in what makes us tick and what makes us well and resilient and sharing that knowledge. Yeah. So it is, it is it is tricky, but I think it needs to remain tricky because I think at the moment where it's not tricky anymore, you probably shouldn't be doing it. Yes, yeah, you know, I agree, yeah. I agree. And do you find that you take things home with you after work? You... Sometimes, yes. I think sometimes, I think it's the clients that come to see you. And I remember being on a training course and we were being trained on post-traumatic stress and in trauma our minds like memories to be start middle and end and when you haven't got the ending or you haven't got the middle then we kind of struggle putting it together and he said think about the clients that you ponder over and it's the clients that drop out halfway in therapy yeah because you yeah. haven't got the end of the story so yeah. I, I, you know sometimes those clients that come for a few sessions you think they're really engaged they're going to do a big piece of work with and they just kind of disengage yes yeah they play on my mind a little bit mm. and I think as you get more experience and qualifications in therapy that you look back on the clients that you'd worked with maybe five ten years ago and think oh I wish I wish I could see them again and do things slightly different but yeah. you can just yeah. Be the best you can. That's it. In That's that it. moment, sort of a learning yeah. curve, definitely. Yeah. So, what do you think you've learned most about working with people? Um, how amazing and resilient people are. How we have the ability to change. That you know, we have something called neuroplasticity in our brain, where we literally have the ability to change how we think, feel, and behave, and you know, change our lives and create better versions of ourselves that we don't ever get there. I know I say to people in therapy lots of times that, that I sit here and every single day I spout this stuff out and I'll find myself worrying at home or checking my front door or, do, you know, so it's, you think I'd have it cracked because I, <laughs> I absolutely haven't got it cracked. And people can see me and think, oh, you've got it all so together. And I'm like, no, <laughs> this is just my comfort zone in the therapy room and just go home and ask my partner. I've not got it together at all. So from everything that you've learned, are there things that you found helpful that you apply to yourself? So, you know, when you talked about the worrying part, is there anything that you do to manage, you know? I suppose, that yeah, there's a few things that I do. I have really, things have really changed for me when I hit 40 and I was going to be 40 and fabulous and I hit 40 and I was fat and frumpy and really grumpy because mm. I became really unwell with a, an underactive thyroid which affects your mental health and your physical health and that really changed stuff for me and that I just couldn't I mean I think being a nurse you you get used to working ridiculous hours at a di ridiculously fast rate mm. and it's difficult to slow down and then I think and the thyroid condition absolutely slowed me down. And for two years, I had kind of a fatigue and felt very unwell. And it's from that I've kind of... And, and that, and a couple of years before that, I trained in compassion-focused therapy. Mm. That really kind of how we relate to ourselves, you know, our relationship with ourselves really changed things for me. And I think that coming together with it in this point in my life when I became unwell... I, I, think, I suppose the first thing that I put in place was kind of mindfulness in kind of slowing down my mind a bit. Mm -hmm. And I'd done that from 
compassion focused therapy that if you really want to change things for yourself you have to slow your mind down create awareness understand your mind better and i uh, practiced mindfulness for quite a while and i think understanding compassion focused therapy and how our minds works and that how important the soothing system is that we need to kind of have the busy mode but also have the kind of down mode is just as important mm-hmm. and then when I was unwell with a thyroid, I went to the GP and the only kind of treatment is medication. I wasn't given any other advice. And that medication, it did help in some respects, but in many respects did not get rid of my symptoms at all. Mm. And I felt I felt really broken and I just felt awful all the time. And I kept going to the doctor saying, I just feel awful. I just could feel awful. And they just, you know, would do a blood test and say, well, your bloods are fine. So carry on. There's nothing more we can do. And that felt initially very, very scary that you go to your GP and they're meant to fix you and they just couldn't fix me. Mm. And I started journaling at the point where I thought I've got to take control of this. So I started every day writing about how I felt, my mood, my diet and exercise. And I was journaling every day. And it was from that that I could really pinpoint symptoms, patterns of my thinking, what I was doing and stuff, which I mean, I was literally, I've got dogs. So I always thought I exercised a lot, but that's all I did. Mm. You know, I didn't go to the gym or anything. So from journaling, I was really able to break everything down and then get the right support, go to people. I went to kind of nutritionists, naturopaths and um, personal trainers and kind of was able to tell them what I'm struggling with and work on some of the thoughts I was having. I was really having lots of quite negative self-talk and stuff. So Mm -hmm. journaling was the thing that got got me better. I think it pointed me in the avenues of where to get the right help and stuff and break the stuff down. And then recently, um, over the last couple of months, put together kind of everything I do with clients in the first few sessions, which is I always recommend journaling because it was so helpful for me. Mm -hmm. And I think it's helpful in between sessions to help you reflect on therapy sessions and mindfulness and developing more self-compassion. And I put that in kind of a guide that people can download for free on my website, building the emotional resilience guide. So that's... I probably do lots for my kind of mental health now. I I got into yoga, which is something, you know, if I was at the gym, I wanted like to at least be trying to get a six pack or get rid of my wobbly belly and stuff. But now your exercise has become more of kind of more for my mental health as well. Yeah, that's excellent. So we recommend lots of things every day to clients. Can you tell us about some of the things you often recommend to people? So like strategies, tips, books, videos. There's lots of things. I suppose journaling is one of the main things that mm-hmm. I recommend. One of the standard books that I absolutely love, and I'm a bit biased because Mary Welf is my clinical supervisor, but I love her book, which is building self-confidence through self-compassion, developing self-compassion, because I just think it's a, a great insight and overview into self-compassion-focused um, therapy. But I do think that our relationship with ourselves kind of sets the scene for the worlds mm-hmm. we live in, really. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a lovely kind of book. I recommend mindfulness, obviously. I, and that's something that I do, you know, I do keep up a mindfulness practice now because it, at the how good it is for our minds and our mental health and well-being and resilience so I recommend um, Mark Williams book which is mindfulness finding peace in a frantic world Mm -hmm. 
and I use the car map. I did use Headspace and then I switched to the car map. I recommend a lot of Breeny Brown stuff. Mm. Like she's got a drama on Netflix, which is amazing. And her The Power of Vulnerability talk, because yes. often I see lots of people that through their struggles, they put up lots of, lots of their coping strategies are very protective. And actually we need to, for the safer we make our worlds and ourselves, sometimes the more difficult life gets so um we have to make ourselves a little bit more vulnerable yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. definitely and we know we were talking earlier about the cbt journal yeah. that you've that you've released recently so do you want to tell us a bit more about that yeah it's for people that um what i was aware of is that the access to cognitive behavioral therapy isn't great especially in the uk lots of people on on waiting lists and i really think that there's a lots that we can do ourselves so it was for people kind of on waiting lists or that might be therapy curious but not sure about therapy because i think having gone to therapy and i've recently just had a course of therapy and it gets it takes a lot for me to get through the therapist door i think it's a really nerve-wracking thing so it's kind of that in between thing when you might be interested in cognitive behavioral therapy but you want to know more more about it Mm -hmm. so the cbt journal is um it's a workbook it's an educational resource self-help tool where it helps you understand how cbt works helps you understand how you can learn the patterns of your mind the way you think feel behave how those are all interconnected and can mean that you develop unhelpful patterns of thinking feeling and behaving Mm -hmm. and then it provides a template which i used um, which i developed for myself when i was unwell with my thyroid in that it kind of gets you encourages you to rate your mood and anxiety levels every day and look at your exercise diet and kind of general daily well-being and then there's um, a journaling section where you kind of encourage to look at your thoughts feelings and behaviors really start to pick those out and understand patterns and then with what's different about it is that I suppose when if you're in a bad place and you're journaling and what I noticed is that it was bloody dull reading and it was grumpy and it was all the tough stuff so at the bottom is a gratitude part that I think even if you're kind of struggling that you our brains are very focused on the negative they're very good at looking at what's going wrong Mm. we have a negative cognitive bias which is I think even worse if we're in a difficult place so you have to train your brain to look at the positive what's going well yeah so while I I think journaling is fantastic I do think it needs to be offset a little bit with kind of gratitude and we know that that kind of trains the part of the brain that's more positive and then kind of in the journal people are encouraged to journal for three to four weeks then there's some exercises that talk people through how to change and helpful thinking using thought records which is one of the kind of standards things we use in CBT and look at difficult feelings and manage difficult emotions and alter maybe unhelpful patterns as well so it kind of talks you through a bit of kind of the CBT process Mm -hmm. and I think if you're thinking of going to therapy some people kind of when they book in with me they purchase it and they use it as part of their therapy and some people do it beforehand and it gives you it starts giving you insight as to what you're thinking feeling doing creating that awareness which from that awareness you can then make choices about where you go how you think feel and behave you know yeah that sounds that sounds amazing really good <laughs> well you. done Thank well you. done for developing it and i think it's really good how you've used 
um, your own experiences to develop yeah, it as well, which is great. Because when I was um, journaling, I was thinking, oh gosh, this is how it can so easily fit with CBT. Yes, and, you yeah. know, and there's not much out there for self-help, really. That's, that's true, that's true. So if someone is considering therapy, is there anything that you would advise them? I'll go off what I do, which is get a recommendation. I ask everybody because... I think that one of the most important things, and I know that I try and set the foundation for people coming to see me, is that I want them to feel like they already know me when they walk in the door. So my website really reflects me and who I am, my blog posts do, my social media does, that generally people who've really done their research on therapists come to see me and they already feel comfortable. And that's what I'd recommend for people is to really find somebody that you feel that you can connect with so do your research look around social media look at the websites you need to have a sense that this person can help you Mm -hmm. and get you better and that you have a really good connection with and phone them up and ask them and have a chat with them yeah and then get a real sense of of what you'd like help with what you know what problems you'd like help with and what what your goals of therapy kind of have a bit you know i suppose the more you understand what you want help with that can be helpful but then I'm sure you do I get people that go things just don't feel right yeah that's it yeah sometimes um, people want need help to unpick yes. what the problem is really but they know yeah. that they're not in a good place or yeah that yeah. they don't know what's going on yeah. and then I think it's just about getting the person type of person you feel you can connect with definitely definitely yeah, yeah. so um this is an interesting question is so it? if you could have a conversation with your 15 year old self what would you say? There's a, it's, it's not not a nice question, this. And I came up with it for people coming on my podcast just because I'm really nosy. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm it thrown back at you. But I have just, I love asking this question now to people. Mm. And what I find is that everybody, I'm going to, I think I'm going to go through the podcast and pick out everybody's what they say to the 15 year old self. Yes. And it, probably 15 year olds need to hear it that when you get into your (laughs) 30s 40s and 50s you know it gets easier and being 15 is bloody tough I think (laughs) you know but what I'd say to myself is to really focus on yourself that you're doing okay and you're doing the best you can and everything's going to be fine being 15 was not great for me Mm. and you know I just wanted to you know home life had been tough and I lost my dad in a car accident when I was 13 so that had been two years before and really things didn't settle down until I left home I left home at 18 so and I think I looked outwards a lot at what was going on around me and I wish I'd focus I wish I'd bloody I had I do wish I'd done my homework I didn't do my homework at school <laughs> that would have saved me a lot of time so I wish I'd focus on myself a lot more know that could tell myself that you're doing okay and that things are going to pan out just perfectly. (laughs) So thank you, Sarah. This has been so interesting. How can people find out more about you and what you do? Um, Go to my website, I suppose. I am on, I've got Facebook group, Ask the Therapist, which people can join. And that's kind of a 
a community of people that are interested in learning more about CBT and therapy and the mental health. And I do some Facebook lives in there. So that Facebook group is called Ask the Therapist. And my website is sarahdreese.co.uk. And you can get links to all my other social media stuff on there. Excellent. And you've got a, a, a few podcasts now that people can listen to as well. Oh, yeah. So do me. Growing. <laughs> Heather was my first guest. Yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Thank you very much, Sarah. I really enjoyed that. Thank you, Heather. Thank Bye. you. Bye.